Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Welcome to Football is Family, a podcast dedicated to the fan and fan experience. My name is Jeremy McFarland, and I want to look at the positive behind what makes football so enjoyable to watch and follow. I want to know why you are a fan of your team, of a player, or an era of football. Whether the pros, college, or high school, I want to hear and share your stories and your love for the game. If you want to be part of this podcast, please message me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarlane, or on Facebook at the Footballist Family Facebook page. We're glad that everybody has joined us again on Footballist Family. And uh, I'll tell you this, I've got a guest today that I'm interested to see his uh, perspective. Growing up a Broncos fan, this is not the team that I tend to side for or want to be around, but I, I I will tolerate it today. Mr. Rich, I'll tolerate it today just because you're on and we're just going to, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody and let us know what you do? Sure. Jeremy, first off, it's nice to be on your show. Sorry about the whole Broncos fan thing, you know, but thank you for having <laughs> me on anyway. My name is Rich Melter and I live in Sagamore Hills, Ohio, which is about 20 miles south of uh, downtown Cleveland. I'm a writer researcher. I specialize in sports history, American crime during Prohibition era, and even some Hollywood history. And uh, I'm also a member of the Professional Football Research Association. I've done numerous projects along with them and and also some of my own projects. I've done a book on the Cleveland Browns, uh, and I've done a book on the Prohibition era. Dealing with the sports, I've done sports encyclopedias on the Raiders, the Lakers, USC Trojans and Los Angeles Dodgers. Today, I'd like to focus with you, seeing that it's all about football. We're going to talk about the Raiders Encyclopedia and the USC Trojans Encyclopedia and the embryonic beginnings of how I became so interested in those two projects. Now, I'll have to have you back on when we do just a history program. The Prohibition era or error uh, fascinates me. That's just the time... For the Scotch-Irish in in Tennessee, it's a time where we went up into the mountains pretty much. That's fascinating. Anyway, (laughs) uh, so you are a a Raiders fan in Ohio. I bet you that goes over well. Oh, goes over great. Everybody just loves me because of that. Especially when I bring up in 1980, the Cleveland Browns played the Raiders in the Red Right 88. Yeah, yeah. And the late Mike Davis intercepted a pass to kill the, kill the Browns. And I always have a tendency to let that slip out sometimes. Also, even though I'm not a Broncos fan, I also like to let them know about, you know, the drive, the fumble. And uh, so, you know, but people still love me up here. I, the last I think I was in Cleveland a few years ago and I just happened to mention that I was a Broncos fan and I about got ran out of town. 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I tried next time I go up there and I want to take my son and my daughters and my wife up there to Canton. I'm going to have to keep my mouth shut for, for my fandom. But anyway, uh, so, so a Browns patch on your head. Well, no, no, that that's a Titans. Head. I got a, I've got a Browns fan friend that was on recently. And, uh, and every now and then I remind him, I said, John Elway's my, my favorite player of all time. And he said, you know what? We don't have to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten that a few times, but it all still works out the same well, though. They, they, you know, the best part about it is don't take it so serious. Enjoy it. It's a right. game. Enjoy it. But I'll tell you what, um, the word ravenous uh, comes to mind when I think of Raiders fans. A few years ago, I went to a preseason game up at Nissan Stadium, and I just walked in. I was wearing a Titans jersey. I think I had my Eddie George jersey on, just, you know, throwback. And and here comes, in preseason, Raiders fans, full mask with Legion of Doom spikes coming out of their shoulders, and they're looking at me, and they're challenging me. And I'm like, I just want to go to the game. <laughs> and these guys look like they had been drinking since yesterday. Now that's fandom to me. Oh yeah, it, I would love to. Now that they're in Las Vegas, now I would love to go out to. Uh, my wife loves the slot machines, and uh, we're out, we're planning a trip to go out to Las Vegas. One, you know, in the near future, to see. Well, my wife's not interested, and in she's a Browns fan, but I still love her anyway. But um, I'd love to go see a uh, Raiders game and be in, sit in the black hole there. I mean, just just to take all that in in Las Vegas and that new stadium, uh, it, it would be fantastic. Now, something tells me that the black hole at what what is the name of it, Allegiant Field? Yes, is not the same yes. as it was in the dump in Oakland. I I don't you know seeing that because of COVID, unfortunately, they haven't had any fans there. But uh, hopefully this fall they're going, going to open it up to the fans, so it could be interesting to I, see. But I, I agree with you, though. And I say I say dump with all love. I grew up an Oakland A's fan, and okay. I, I've seen that stadium in every way that you can think of. Uh, but you you said uh, when we were talking just a second ago, you said that your fandom started. Well, your your area of expertise is 1966 to 83. 63 to 83, yes. 63 when, to 83. When, Al Davis, when Al Davis took over as head coach in 1963, took a team that won only nine games in their first three seasons, turned it around, went 10 and four, changed the whole attitude, changed the uniforms, just the whole attitude of the team. Now, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, he won coach of the year with that, didn't he? Yes, he won coach of the year. Okay. And then he became commissioner a few years after that. Then he came back once the leagues merged, the AFL and the NFL merged. And then he got into the ownership of the team. Now, I've always wondered, how did he – he's not wealthy. He's not wealthy, for what I understood about him growing – how did he become owner? I, I don't want to say too much because I don't, I don't know for sure. You know, you hear things. Uh, some of it could have been a little back alley dealings to buy up enough stock. I believe he was given some stock when he first came back. He didn't want to go back into coaching. He felt that after being the commissioner of the AFL, that, you know, coaching was maybe a little past him, even though he did coach, basically he coached for the rest of his life, uh, just from a different perspective in, in the, in the team, on the team. But I believe, you know, once he got some stocks, he kind of went around and bought up more stocks and eventually overtook the, the main owner. 
again, that's some of the stories that I've heard. I wouldn't want to carve that in stone, though. But in the in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to the other owners, he is not one of the wealthy, the wealthiest of the of the bunch. Oh, absolutely not. He's he was total old school. I would say he was. You could probably put him maybe not with the way he conducted business, but I would put him with the Hallises, the Roonies, people like that. That that they, that was their business. And even if you wanted to even throw Art Modell in there with, with the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens, he. You know, that that was their life was football. And they started off like that. And that's all that Al Davis lived for was football. I mean, he that was his vice was football. And it, you know, showed on what he did. And he just had this attitude where we're not going to take what the defense gives us. We're going to just take whatever we want when we want it. And just took a bunch of misfits from other teams that were cast off, said, hey, you know what? You come over here. You got a second chance. And they just played like hell for him. And it was just a just just a totally intriguing team. And you know, when, when you see them be getting booed around other other cities and all, it was just a real rush because they they, they fed on that. They fed on that that, and um, it was always us against them. And it was just a just a great vibe. And I, I always say uh, a couple of my friends. Actually, I do have some friends that are Raider fans, and they always say, you know, there's two kinds of fans: those that are Raider fans and those that want to be Raider fans. And that's what I stick to, even though people roll their eyes and throw things at me sometimes. I fought back a little bit of um, stuff from my throat coming up. I fought that back just a little bit. <laughs> now, historically, historically, the era that you're talking about, that 20, 21 years, the Raiders seem to be almost there so many times. Almost there. Uh and, and I, I married into a Steelers family. Um, my father-in-law was a big Steelers fan. And my wife, when I came in, she saw me wearing the Titans set. I guess we'll have to deal with that. <laughs> um, but I think the immaculate reception was, was, uh, was not a good deal. I think it actually was illegal. It was illegal. That's the day that I became a Raiders fan. And Ken Stabler took over. And Ken Stabler was my guy. I mean, I just thought Ken Stabler was the greatest, the coolest. And he came into this game. He ran for a 31-yard touchdown, put the Raiders up seven to six. And then this play that they said is the greatest play of all time occurred. But I don't believe, and Raider Nation doesn't believe that it happened. And I even think some of the Steelers didn't believe that it happened. Because at that time, a ball could not go off of a teammate and be retrieved by another teammate. It had a hit the teammate, hit the opponent, and then hit the hit, hit, hit the player of the same team, uh, of the offensive team. And that didn't happen. If you look at that play, Jack Tatum, the defensive back, the hard-hitting defensive back, they, you know, the whole they call me assassin, he hit George or Frenchie Fuqua with everything he had when that ball came. And you could see that ball just carry off of Fuqua's body, and Harris picked it up, you know, on, you know, but a shoestring and ran for the touchdown. Now, could the officials have ruled against the Steelers and got out of Pittsburgh alive? I don't really think so. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of skullduggery, I believe, that goes on with that play. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that, 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 that play was legit, but, um, but you know, it's, it's left to history. No. And, 
Now I'm not diminish. I'm not diminishing Franco Harris's catch. That was an amazing catch. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. But I think I think that the hit that you're talking about with Frenchie and Tatum, Frenchie touched it. Tatum did not. Yes, that's just, that's just my opinion, and that's part of the reason why I probably can never go to Pittsburgh now. Steve, the good thing is, see, the Broncos and the Raiders can get along now, can't we? <laughs> well, see, I'm still kind of upset at the Broncos for cut or for trading Cutler, but you know, I'm I'll get over that maybe one day. But okay, so my question for you, and, and you wrote, go ahead, uh, you wrote an encyclopedia uh, for Raiders Nation. What what? How many years does that cover? Covers the first fifty years of the Raiders from nineteen. Oh, so just just a just a wee little tome. I'm sorry, what? Uh, just a wee little tome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just a just a blink of an eye. You know, it was from nineteen from, from the very first year through the fiftieth anniversary of the team, which would have been the fiftieth anniversary of the AFL. Big, well, no, no, actually, no, no. they it was came from 19, in nineteen sixty through two thousand ten. Yes, yes. Um, they came in, if if I remember correctly, in 63, like you're saying, because Minnesota went to the NFL instead of to the AFL. Right. They came in in 1960, and uh, that's how they got in, because, like you said, Minnesota went to okay. the NFL. And so they were always considered the orphans. They always looked at themselves as orphans. It was like, well, we need another team to fill this void. And along came the, the Raiders, which actually their, their name originally was called the Seniors. I heard a story about that. Maybe you can clarify how the name Senors came about, and we're glad that it's not there. No, it was a contest, and it was one of those uh, newspaper contests from the Oakland Tribune, and the winning entry was the Senors. And these, you know, the people came out with wearing the big sombreros, and hey, we're the Oakland Senors because of the strong Mexican population there. They wanted to acknowledge that heritage. And but it just, you know, can you imagine, you know, John Facenta, the, the, the voice of God on NFL film saying, you know, the Oakland seniors, you know, come here. Like, it just it just didn't seem like it fit. It's an autumn, so a couple autumn weeks wind. later, they changed. The yeah. autumn wind. Yes. Is a ray is a pirate. I was I was talking to a couple. My, my daughter is is a Latina. We adopted her. And I would say that would kind of be weird to say that team is named after you. You're where you come from. I don't think that would work very well. No, no. But Raiders make a lot of sense, especially with John Facenda and the autumn wind. Um, and whenever you think of the old school NFL films and the music, I think his name was Sam Spence. Can you imagine anything but the Raiders with some of the that absolutely not deep cello vo- uh, music? Yeah, absolutely not. And but what you said, it's funny because the autumn wind, I was listening to that. I have it on a CD and I was listening I bet you, to it when I was going to work. I bet you do. <laughs> and I, just, I try to listen to it every day when I go to work. He was for a couple of minutes and that music after that, it, it just getting John <laughs> Facenta saying it, you know, and they, they pillage just for fun. You know, it's just incredibly. And um, they laugh when they've conquered and won. It's, it's just uh, it just really gets. I just want to go through the wall right now. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I, won't, I, can... I won't. I can relate to that. I have Mike Keese, uh, the Music City Miracle, him calling out that Music City Miracle on my phone. I listen to it often. So I get it. I understand. You and I, we, we are connected, not just by Zoom, but in heart. Absolutely. Now, you said Ken Stabler was your, your favorite Raider of that time. Yes, of um, all time. That dude was about as tough as they come. He was, and you know, he, 
he, I had a chance to meet him in 1994 and I got his autograph and all. And uh, actually I have it hanging up on the wall here. And um, he was can just I, as, he was can, just as phenomenal. Can you move the just, camera so I can see it? I'm, I'm kind of envious. Can you do that or? Hold on one sec. Let me grab it. Yeah. And of course you're not being able to see this cause it's on, on uh you know, this is a podcast, but I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. That would be the lefty right there. That's pretty cool. That's from Super Bowl 11. The picture. Wow. This is actually, I made a photocopy of this and I have the original, believe it or not in a fireproof box because that's how much it, that's how much it means to me. So, <laughs> so you got to meet him in 94. Um, yes. Did you follow him in Alabama when he was at Alabama or just when he got picked up by the Raiders? No, I did not. Just when he got picked up by the Raiders, I didn't really follow pro football all that much actually at all. Uh, and then a sixth grade teacher of mine started to get me interested in sports. So that was in the early seventies. I hate to date myself because I always like to say I was, you know, born in the eighties, but that would be an absolute lie. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> anybody that's listening to this that's going to that, that knows me would be rolling their eyes right now and for just reason but uh, then I started taking interest in it so then I really was interested in it in 72 and I was watching that game and I just saw that this quarterback that just looked cool you know he had the long hair out of the helmet had a little smiley face sticker on his helmet and just looked so laid back and even though they lost that game I just became enamored with this guy. And then as the years went on, he just got better and better. It was the NFL MVP. The guy could thread a needle with a football. He was amazing. And when they finally broke through and won that Super Bowl in 1976, in January of 77, after losing only one game that year, it was it was just amazing. And when he turns that, if ever you look at this, Jeremy, if you get a chance to look at Super Bowl eleven highlights, and he turns to that camera and he smiles and does the number one was, sign. Was that that episode? Yes. Yes. Oh, it gets to me every time. And sometimes if people want to see what a what a wimp I can be, they show that to me. And it makes my eyes feel that. And uh, when John Facenta said, there goes Marcus Allen running with running the night. Oh, God, that gets me. And then, that of course, play, the autumn wind and I'm just a mush bucket. That play, when I, I think he, it was a broken, no, it wasn't a broken play, but he saw something that, I don't think was in the play, Marcus Allen, right. that run. Right. And it was a broken play, really. Well, shut, the, the way I looked down. at it, he was supposed to go to the right, and he cuts it back up and hits right down the middle. Yeah, he pivoted, he pivoted around and just shot up the middle, and that was it, 74 yards. That Marcus Allen, I grew up, I was a Bo Jackson fan, just loved Bo Jackson. Uh, I was a Kansas City Royal fan as a result, but Bo Jackson was my guy, but the more I go back and read and watch Marcus Allen, that guy is as underrated as it comes. And, and I just cannot believe that anybody would want him off of their team. I couldn't either. There, there's all kinds of rumors about that. Something, something deep happened. That's all that you'll hear is, you know, Oh, this goes deeper than that. You know, you don't know the real thing. Nothing has ever been said by either party as to why that that occurred. And maybe someday it'll 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 come through. But by then, who really cares? He he should not have he should have remained a Raider his whole career. And this is a this is a man that the only the only player to ever run for over ten thousand yards and have over five thousand yards receiving. He could block. He could catch. He could pass. He could do it all. And to me personally, 
I think Marcus Allen is the greatest person to play the running back position, complete player. Now, again, granted, you're going to have a lot of people have different issues or different opinions. And that's the beautiful thing about what we talk about is who's right and who's wrong. And it just, it's just, you can just have a lot of fun with it. But I think Marcus Allen is, is he, he became what Roger Craig would be with the, the ability to go both ways like that. Christian McCaffrey is very similar to that. Yes. Um, I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember Walter Payton really wasn't a receiving back. He could, but he really wasn't. Uh, my boy, Derek Henry, which my, my daughter and I think he hung the moon. I, if I had a, a picture of him up on my office wall, I would have a halo around him or at least. A oh, I, I, he, I, I loved it. I love Henry. I, he's amazing. He is amazing, but he is not a catching back. And if he became one that could catch better, he's gotten better. He would be a three down back. But when you look at it, Marcus Allen, uh, he had, how many years did he play for the Chiefs? Was it three or four? Um, I, he left, I believe he, he went in 1992, I believe. That's what I thought. I, 93, possibly 93. And I believe he retired in 97. So let's say about four, three okay. or four seasons. That tells you what he had left. Yes. And Bo Jackson was out of the league by then. And he was really, if I look at it, he was really the feature offensive player. Of course, Joe Montana for the Chiefs was just Joe Montana, but he's not Marcus Allen. He was the feature offensive weapon for that team. And he almost went to the Super Bowl, I want to say in 93 or 94. Yeah, 93. Years, 93. Yeah, he almost they lost to the uh, Buffalo in the AFC Championship. Course, a lot of people lost to Buffalo in the 90s. Yes, they did. But what gets me is uh, I started to, to pay more attention to the Raiders when I realized that one of my favorite all-time characters, John Madden, was the coach for the Raiders. And that dude, uh, number one, I didn't know he had red hair. <laughs> yeah. You don't know that. But number two, he fit that team to a T. In the 60s, Joe Namath became a playboy. He was given a pass. Ken Stabler did a Joe, a Joe Namath over in Oakland, and, and he wasn't given a pass. Almost kind of double double standard there. Yeah, he, um, he you know, Snakehead, you know, Snakehead is fair share of, you know, female worshipers. And um, uh, there, was, there was absolutely no doubt about that he didn't lack female companionship. But as as most quarterbacks will have, yeah. But he was um, John Madden. John Madden and, and and Snake Stabler were, to me, joined at the hip. And John Madden was was just an incredible coach, and he just knew how to he knew, he knew how to handle the people. He had those simple rules, you know, just just you know, show up for meetings, pay attention, and on Sundays play like hell. And it wasn't that he was a. a, a, a he wanted to be everybody's buddy and all. He was a, I think he was a very stern coach when he had to be, but he knew that these were guys, he knew that they, these, these were men, they weren't boys. And it's like, look, this is your job. Show up and do it. And as I said, they, they would bring these people in that were off of a scrap heap, people that had some problems with other teams came into that Raider Raider community and just played like hell for, for John Madden 
and for Al Davis. And of course, let's not forget about Tom Flores after. Him. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, Tom Flores led him to two Super Bowls and Tom Flores was a disciple. You know, he was a quarterback for Al Davis. He was a coach for John Madden. So he had that, 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 uh, inner, inner office mentality. When you think of Tom Flores, you think of the two Super Bowls, you don't think of him as the coach for the Seattle Seahawks. Not at all. Um, I don't, I get it, but it's kind of like Emmett Smith retiring as, you know, playing for the Cardinals. Something's wrong with that. Right. Something's wrong with that. It was strange. Even, uh, actually when, when, when snake Stabler left the Raiders and, and he went to uh, Houston. I actually didn't mind Houston at that time. The Houston Oilers. Uh, I didn't mind them at that time because it seemed like that was another perfect fit for Ken Stabler. You know, he had that, you know, love you blue and, you know, the yellow rose of Texas going on. And, and it just seemed like, like he was in his norm there. But when I saw him in this New Orleans Saints uniform at the end of his career, that was kind of sad almost. And um, yeah, yeah. I think he might have gotten that out of his head pretty fast. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he did. I'm sure. So you, so you're a pretty much you'd say a lifelong Raiders fan. Uh, give me a highlight. What you know? We talked about some things that brought tears to your eyes, but if you could just take a moment and just wipe it out of your brain and relive it again, you know, like there's certain books that I would love to read for the first time again. To Kill a Mockingbird. I can't do it, but I would love to read certain songs like uh, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, that I would love just to listen to for the first time again. I can listen to it a thousand times. My kids know the words, but I want to listen to it one more time. If you could just live one time, just wipe it out of your mind and just live it again, what would it be? When the Raiders won their first Super Bowl. I was a senior in high school, and I watched the Raiders lose the Immaculate Reception game. They lost to Miami the next year in the AFC Championship game two straight to Pittsburgh and they, they had, you know, this these incredible records. And then finally in, in 1976, they broke through and they went 13 and one in the regular season. They had a little bit of a struggle with new England in the, in the divisional game of the first round of the playoffs, but then they took care of Pittsburgh in the AFC championship game, got to the super bowl against Minnesota. And when they, they, they just, just, it, it was, it was a tough Tough game for just a little bit, but then once the Raiders broke broke loose, they broke loose, and the game wasn't even you know a, a challenge for, for them anymore. But the moments that stuck out in that were you know when you see Fred Belitnikoff catching uh, four passes that set up touchdowns, uh, Willie Brown, a veteran that that that, that struggled to oh, see man, all these. Willie. Oh man, Willie! When, when Bill King, the great announcer, God bless you, Bill King, uh, the great announcer for the Raiders. When he said that he can go all the way, old man Willie, that's another one that gets me. And then at the end, when you see they're holding up signs, we're number one, and Ken Stabler again meets John Madden on the sideline. And if you see the mouthing of the words, John Madden looks at Ken Stabler. I don't want to start getting all lumped up here, but Ken John Madden looks at Ken Stabler, shakes his hand, and you can see that he mouthed the words, thank you. And Snake just shook his head and smiled, and they embraced and then when he turns to that camera and does that number one sign, oh my gosh, that's the moment right there. That was that was absolute splendor for me. Now, 
a friend of mine, Darren Hayes, you might, you might've talked to Darren. Uh, he, he hosts the podcast. Um, he's a Steelers fan. So that message that we just talked about the immaculate reception, I'm sure I'm going to hear about it next week. Oh, we Uh, talked about that. I I was interviewed by Darren on uh, Monday. Oh, yeah. yeah. He wants me back. He actually wants me back on the show to discuss the Steelers and Raiders. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing Darren again. When you, when you do that, I want to be a fly on the wall. Oh, you got it. But, um, but, uh, I don't, oh, yeah, we're working on, uh, everyone. We're ranking the, the Super Bowl rings. The, uh, the first ring for the Raiders to me is just, it's plain and it's beautiful. Uh, you know, eventually it becomes all diamonds, but that just looks just what the Raiders are all about. Right. Just black and gold or black and silver. Black and, black silver, and silver. Uh, if you were to, and I ask people this, and I want to, I want to ask you this if I were to give you a, a, a block of granite and give you the skills, because I don't have the skills, but I give you the skills to etch into that granite a Mount Rushmore or, you know, Mount Davis. What what they call that, that eyesore there in Oakland where they brought in the extra seats, uh, Mount Davis. It was, that's what it was Mount called. Davis, right? Okay. Uh, if I were to say you can make a Mount Davis, the top four players or coaches or personalities in Raiders history. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, first off, I'd need probably about 10, 10 of these. To, hey, my, my budget is not that big. I don't have that no, big of a budget. Can I come back and we could do just a Mount Rushmore show on the Raiders? <laughs> you know what? You know what? That's fine. Let me, let me go and talk to my wife about a, about a loan here. But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I have to four, – four people, you have to think of the, the embodiment of the Raider outlaw image I'd have to say, if you're just going to go four, boy, this is tough. Jamarcus just, Russell. Being with Jamarcus, <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> He'd be holding it up on his shoulders. <laughs> um, I would I would have to say, of, of course, Al Davis. Yeah, he'd be right in the middle. Jo- yes. John Madden next to him. You'd have to get a little bit bigger for John Madden. He's, yes. he's, a, he's a rather big guy. And then I'd have to go. Ken Stabler and Marcus Allen. Now I'm I'm totally omitting the defense because you could have you could have one for just the outlaws, and you know that that could go on forever too. But I would say those those four. I remember, and we talked about this a second ago. I remember um, Howie Long is one of my favorite players, and and whenever I would play Tech Mobile, I would be the Broncos, and I tell you what, Howie Long was in the backfield more than. John Elway was, I mean, just even on a game, and that's just uh, he was who something else. Howie Long was amazing. He 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 learned to play all five positions on that line. I mean, he could play he could play he could come at you, and so he would he was he had to be hard to set up a game plan for it because you know he would line up at, at a defensive end and he'd go to tackle nose tackle, I mean, and the other the other end. I mean, it was very very hard to to defend this guy or try to, try to defend against it, you know, trying to defend against him. And he was quick and he was a championship boxer in high school. And I believe in college, I believe he won the uh, college boxing championship. Also, I believe that or a golden gloves. So he had the quick hands and he was quick and that bull rush and he was powerful. And 
you put all that together and it's just, you know, this Armageddon and cleats, you know, coming <laughs> at you. Can you imagine having him, Lawrence? I mean, we're talking about 80s power stars here. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, Howie Long, Reggie White, of course, in 89, Derek Thomas. Good gracious, that front four would have been insane. Oh, I, I also always talk about the Raiders. Oh, I'm a big surprise, but I talk about the Raiders uh, in 1983 when they won Super Bowl 18, and they had Howie Long just coming into his own. And then you also had Lyle Alzado that took him under his wing. So you had Lyle Alzado and Howie Long and John Matuzak was going to try to come back for that season. And I would have loved to have seen those three guys, you know, Matuzak in, in his heyday with Howie Long and Lyle Alzado on that line. Oh my gosh. That, that just that if they went into a three, four defense, I mean, that, 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 that's just, and then with Ted Hendricks and, and oh gosh, Matt Millen behind you, <laughs> this, he was, his nickname was the stork, right? The stork, stork yes. can kick him in the head, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember correctly, I remember seeing him with a mask with a big giant uh, lips and, and yeah, it was like a, uh, one of those uh, Halloween masks. Yes. Halloween. Just yeah. Just a major free spirit. That's just, that's just the Raiders for you. Now you're talking, if I also saw it correctly, that when, uh, Al Davis took over until the Raiders moved to LA. I want to say that they had about a 64% winning percentage, which is insane. Mm-hmm. It's, it's they insane. Had the they had the greatest winning percentage from 63 to 83 of not only any professional football team, but any professional sports team in, in the major sports leagues. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. And to, I just, I don't know how you, I, I guess part of it, they didn't have the salary cap and they didn't have free agency, but you also have to restock team, your, your team when people get hurt or retire. So Al Davis knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing and he had some great guys. Uh, he had an incredible scouting department with uh, Ron Wolf, who's in the Hall of Fame now. And he also had an executive named Aldo Cassell that was just incredible. His name kind of gets lost in history, unfortunately. But I'd like to bring up Mr. Lo Cassell because he he took care of everything, whether it was the Raiderettes, how many pencils you had, any any anything to do with, with with any type of football operations. So he was very very influential in that that organization. Also, so you built your you built you built yourself around these 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 incredible people. You didn't belong to any scouting combine. You didn't have a computer or anything. You had, you know, Al Locasal with a bunch of sharpened pencils. And that's how they that's how they 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 ran this this program. And for many years it worked for them. Unfortunately, time caught up with the Raiders. And much to much to I think a lot of happiness of all the other teams in the NFL. Yeah. I I have been uh and, and I don't want to take up much more of your time, uh, Mr. Rich, but thank you for letting me uh talk to you today. My pleasure. Um, I've been doing a lot of research lately about, because it's fascinating, how Al Davis and the Raiders went to Los Angeles in the first place and then went back to Oakland. And it looks like there's a lot of litigation involved with that. Oh, it was back in 1979 or 78, uh, the Raiders, Carol Carol Rosenblum, the, the owner of the Rams, said that they were moving out of the Coliseum after the 1979 season. 
and they were moving down to Orange County, which is about 26 miles south of LA. And then all of a sudden that left this vast, this vast Coliseum open. And Al Davis all of a sudden, you know, started to sniff around there. And he wasn't getting what he wanted in Oakland. He did he wanted certain repairs. He wanted suites. He he knew that he had to compete with the rest of the league to, you know, for, for top players. And the city of Oakland wouldn't budge. So he said, you know what, I'm moving to Los Angeles. He approached Pete Rosell and said, you know, Pete, I'm moving the Raiders to Los Angeles. Well, Al, we're going, we'll discuss it at the next meeting. He goes, no, you don't understand. I'm moving to Los Angeles. And that started a lot of litigations. And it, they were in a very fierce battle when the Raiders won the Super Bowl in 1980. And Pete Rosell had to come into that locker room and give that trophy to, to Al Davis. It's just great, great theater if you get a chance to watch that. That I, I, Pete Rosell would have wanted to be anywhere else. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they wind up in litigation. Two, two years later, they go to Los Angeles. And then a year after that, they win the Super Bowl. So Pete Rosell has to come back to the locker room to give his nemesis another trophy. Well, and if, um, if you want to make a comparison, I guess this might be a comparison. If you're kind of newer to the sport, it's the year that Tom Brady had the deflated balls and had to sit out for four games or six games, actually. And Roger Goodell had to hand him the Super Bowl trophy. Right. No, it was four I'd games. I'd say that's a good analogy. Uh, I remember I remember the 80 one because I think I saw that on the NFL Network. Um, Pete Rozelle was a very – he held his emotions in rather rather well, and he had to fight that day to fight the gag reflexes. I'm sure he had to. Oh, w- without a doubt. And, and you know deep down in his heart, you know, you have to be neutral – but, you know, deep down in his heart, he wanted to see Philadelphia win that Super Bowl. I mean, the, the, I can't speak for the man naturally, but, I mean, what human being wouldn't want it in his situation? Would you have wanted to have to face your nemesis or would you rather go into uh, the Philadelphia locker room? It would have been a lot easier and he might have stayed around in the Philadelphia locker room a little bit longer. And don't get me wrong. I believe Pete Rozelle was the greatest commissioner of any sport. Of, of all time. I mean, Pete Rozelle did an incredible, incredible things with, with professional football and made it what it is when he took over in 1960 after Burt Bell died suddenly of a heart attack. Yeah. But I, 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 I think Pete Rozelle is just an incredible, was an incredible now. commissioner. And just a quick side story. Yeah. I was at the Hall of Fame for the induction ceremonies in 1989. And I was a guest of Ray Nitschke, a friend of my wife's husband, stepfather, grew up with Ray Nitschke. So it was one of those long stories. But uh, Ray Nitschke allowed us to, allowed me and a couple of my friends to get into the Hall of Fame with him and to go in the catacombs and see all, the, wow. all these legends. And the great thing was Pete Rozelle was there. That was his last year before he was gonna, going to hand it over to Tagliabue. And Al Davis was there to induct uh, Ted Hendricks. So they were probably about 15 feet away from each other and they were walking and I was walking behind them. And I was just (laughs) taking, I didn't even want to try to get any autographs or anything. I was just enamored by this interaction with them. Of course, they didn't say a word to each other, but just to take that in, I just wanted to just take that in. And it was, it was a walk of maybe 30 feet, but to me, it felt like it was a walk of a mile. You know, it just time stood still for me to see these two 
icons that just battle and battle and battle and legends in their own regard. And it, it was it was a great moment. It was a, probably one of the highlights of the day. I was just wondering how Al Davis felt about Pete Rozell, not only because he kept the Raiders from moving for a little bit, but also Pete Rozell basically forced Al Davis out of a job. He did yeah, when he was commissioner. Yeah. But um, I believe that at, at the end, did you see the 30 for 30 with uh, Pete Rozell and Al Davis? No, I need to, I need to look that up. It's, it's great. It's really a great show, Jeremy, if you get a chance to see it. And they, they actually warmed up to each other when Pete Rozelle was, you know, stepping down as commissioner. And um, it was just a great, it's kind of a, it was a great, they, they came full circle. And I truly believe that they respected each other. Business was business. But I think deep down said they each respect each other. Now, the vote to keep them from moving was 22 against and five, no, uh, no, no votes. Litigation basically said you're going to move to me, this plus other things that happened before and after just got this mystique that the Raiders, uh, that people are out to get the Raiders. Always. Even the, even the hall of fame, look how long it took Ken Stabler to get in and so many in town Flores to get in. And, and you have people like Cliff Branch, Jim Plunkett, Todd Christensen, and Dave Dalby. I mean, and I can just go on. I, I won't, but I mean, I could go on. And I think that, you know, the Hall of Fame is, by, is, is, is colorblind when it comes to the silver and black. And great is great. It doesn't matter what uniform that you're wearing, but it's still a way to stick it to, you know, the Raiders long after all this, after all the smoke cleared and, you know, both Pete Rozelle and Al Davis are gone from this earth. I still think that that, that still lingers there, that that animosity still lingers. Well, you hate that it comes down to that. It's, this is a sport that people should enjoy, but I'll tell people that there's two things that cause people to lose their minds, religion and politics. (laughs) And maybe the Raiders could be two a, Oh, definitely. I think I think being a sports fan, whether it's the Raiders, the Broncos, it's a lot easier to talk about that than it is, you know, religion and politics. <laughs> but I think because um, you could have a lot of fun talking about sports, like like you and I can talk about. You know, you and I have talked for close to an hour, and you know, you probably I know you don't like the Raiders, I don't like the Broncos, but you know, we're getting along now. Uh, you start to talk about religion and politics, then you got a little bit of. See, I, you get see, a little weird. My granddad would say, Jeremy, you don't not like something, you tolerate stuff. It's like, I could tolerate the Raiders. As long as it's not the Ravens, I'm okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. See, I always holding, joke around with them. I'm still holding 2,000 Ravens. What's that? I always, oh, I'm sorry. I always joke around with, uh, my, you know, everybody that I know is predominantly a Browns fan. But I always joke around with them because, you know, they, they, of course, they bash the Raiders. They're constantly bashing the Raiders with me. And I love every minute of it. And I always say, you know, hey, we have three Super Bowl trophies. I go, of course, the Cleveland Browns have two Super Bowl trophies. You just have to go to Baltimore to see them. Oh, <laughs> oh. I know that was, a, that was harsh. Oh, see, see, now now we've hit below the knees. <laughs> you just, Tanya Harding them. That's awful. I like just it. Just for the record, just for the record. Everybody I know that's a Browns fan, but you know, I love all of you. I love him. You all, and every, y'all know who you are. 
<laughs> All right, Mr. Rich, uh, I'm going to give you five minutes. You have Twitter. Do you have Twitter? And you have books that you would like to put out. Please do so. And they should be on the uh, show notes when this airs. Okay, great. Please, please do. Please uh, tell us everything that you want to tell us. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I, I've written numerous books. I'm working on, on I've just finished up a book on uh, when pro football came to Hollywood. And I think it covers pro football from the 20s through when the Rams won this uh, championship in 1951. That's always a lot. That It was a great time period. Uh, great focus on the uh, semi-pro teams going on in Los Angeles at that time. And I uh, working also working on some Hollywood history, uh, working on a book called Beasts, Bedlam, and Babes about the drive-in movies from the 1950s through the 1980s. Oh, the attack of the 50-foot woman. Oh, fantastic movie. Fantastic yeah. movie. One yeah. of my all-time favorites. The worst movie I've ever seen with one of the best actors, in my opinion, The Blob with Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, yes. And, the, oh, and how his girlfriend awful was, was that movie? But I'm sorry, what? How awful was that movie? Oh, did you ever see Plan 9 from Outer Space? I am not going to do that. Oh, you've heard about it though, right? Ed Wood, if I remember correctly. Yeah, no. Uh, I heard that that is, one, that is the absolute worst movie of all time. When I was doing research for this book, I try to flash through these movies because, you know, I want to, you know, talk the talk and, and instead of walking the walk. So I watch it. And the sad part was, Jeremy, I, I love, I love, God help me. I love these movies. And I, I sat there. I was like, okay, I have to, you know, nobody, nobody was home. I was by myself <laughs> watching this. So I, my, my family wouldn't think I was totally insane. And I'm watching this. And, uh, I actually said, okay, now I have to see how it ends. But if you ever see see it, they have these these like 1950 hubcaps flying through the air, and they have string attached to it. And oh. Bella Lugosi passed away while they were making the movie, so they had somebody, this tall, skinny guy with just a cloak, and he's knocking over these cardboard tombstones, and it's just it's just so bad that it's good. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm still now. I'm thinking of the the theme song to the Blob, and I I got to get this out of my head. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You, you did this. You know, I did this. <laughs> we're we're talking about the Raiders, and I'm tolerating that, and now we're going to the Blob. <laughs> I got you, didn't I? <laughs> I? Okay. See, it was going to be a good day, and now it's kind of devolved into it. Now let's go. You have a Raiders encyclopedia, and you have yes. a USC encyclopedia. USC Trojans Encyclopedia. And, uh, uh, I have a Los Angeles late. We're going to have to talk off air. I'm going to get a copy of your Prohibition book. Okay, it's about a uh, machine gun Jack McGurn, the, oh, absolutely. the top trigger man for Al Capone. Absolutely, would love that. Okay, I'll talk to you off air. Off, yeah. About that. So, where can we get a hold of these books? You can go to Amazon, and uh, I would probably say Amazon would probably be your best bet. Um, bookstores, if there are any bookstores even left. You can, uh, uh, if they're not carried in the store, you could order it through through a bookstore, but probably Amazon would be the quickest way. Okay. Okay. Um, just punch in my name. Most of it, most of it is under Richard J. Schmelter. And if you just punch in my name, you can see everything that I've done come up. 
I will put this on Twitter as soon as the uh, as soon as the interview is over. All right. Since I've already got to the point that I'm about to I'm about to lose my lunch from yesterday. <laughs> would you say the line that Al Davis made famous at the end of the Super Bowl? I would love to, Jeremy. Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm, to stay with this. Let, let me know when you're ready. I, I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm try- okay. Go ahead. I don't know if we could do it. Let me set the tone for you. He was wearing a black coat and a white shirt underneath, like a turtleneck. Yeah. And he was, was given that trophy, and he just looked and said, "Just win, baby." And everybody erupted. Everybody erupted, and it's just, it's. Three incredible words that will last forever. See, when I made this topic, football's family, I knew I was going to delve into something that would just borderline crazy. And I think we went over the edge tonight. (laughs) I think we went over the edge. Mr. Rich, I appreciate your time uh, and your expertise. Jeremy, I'll tell you, I had the time of my life with you. You are incredible. I never thought I'd say that about a Broncos fan, but I really like you. Again, I'm a Broncos fan in mourning. If they never traded Cutler, I'd still, I probably, the Titans might be number two on my list. And you see, you survived talking to me about the Raiders and the Blob. And don't forget about Plan 9 from outer space. Oh, gosh. Now, by the way, if no one's seen the Blob, spoiler alert here, how do you, how do you defeat a gelatinous or jello blob that moves through the, the the city that eats people. How do you defeat it? You use fire extinguishers. There you go. A lot of fire extinguishers. Absolutely. A lot of fire extinguishers and hope it doesn't melt because one <laughs> yeah. little bit will glow, will grow back. Mm. <laughs> well, thank y'all for joining us tonight on Footballless Family. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already... We have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.